Welcome to Maranatha Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Femi Fenoyo. We have joined a series that I've been doing on Maranatha YouTube teaching channel titled The Bible. We have joined the series at the beginning of another season, which we have titled The Story of the Whole Bible. Hi, before we start our teaching today, I just want to bring you this important announcement. By the grace of God, starting from next episode, we are going to take a short break from our Genesis Bible Study series for an important 14-part series on New Testament given. And immediately we finish that series, we will return back to our Bible series on Genesis. Thank you and God bless you. Now back to our episode today. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 verse 23 verse 24 and the lord said behold the man is become as one of us to know good and evil and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever therefore the lord sent him forth from the garden of eden to till the ground from whence he was taken so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life praise the lord okay so we've been considering you know we've we've been considering this tree of life and we have seen that the tree of life has been central to the story of the whole bible that tree was central to the story at the beginning that tree will be central to the story at the end and we have seen that that tree is also central to the story in between to the story in the middle Okay, so this tree is really, really very important. So the story of redemption is the story of the return of man, the return of human, the return of the man and the woman back to the Garden of Eden, back to the tree of life. In rounding up our consideration of this tree of life, we are going to look briefly at Trinity and the tree of life, Trinity and the tree of life. First, as we have seen earlier, the tree represents God himself. That tree of life is a representation. The power is not really in the tree or the fruit itself. We've seen that. That tree represents God himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And eating of the fruit of the tree of life represents our fellowship and our communion with God, who is Trinity. That's the first thing that we have seen. The second thing is that the tree of life, we've seen this, is connected to rivers, waters, stream of water. We've seen that in the book of Genesis. We've seen that in the book of Revelation. We've seen that in the book of Psalm. We've seen that in the book of Ezekiel. We've read all those places in our previous teaching. So that tree of life is connected to the rivers of living water. And in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus said that he is life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is ultimately the tree of life. And he came so that we can have life. He is ultimately a manifestation of God, okay? Emmanuel, God with us. So he is a manifestation of that tree of life. And he said, I have come that they might have life. And he came so that once again, in a sense, we can partake 
of that tree of life. He said, in that sense, he said, whosoever believes, whosoever has the son has life. So there's a sense in which even in between, before the restoration, before the complete restoration of all things in Revelation, even in between, because of the work of God on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, you and I can partake something of the fruit of the life of God in Christ Jesus. So that's that's one thing we see in the New Testament, that the Lord Jesus Christ he is the ultimate tree of life and that the Holy Spirit is that river of life. That which we've seen in picture form in the Old Testament, in the beginning, in the middle. As we come to the cross, it begins to manifest itself in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the person of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 37 to 39. In the last day, that great day of the feast, the Lord Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow what? Rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost is not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Hallelujah. Now, that is very, very important. The Bible says this was the last day, the great day of the feast. The feast day is actually the feast of the tabernacle or what the Jews call the feast of boots, the feast of Tabernacles. Now, this just gives us a quick picture of the seven feasts of the Lord, the divine appointment. And you can see that the Feast of Tabernacles is the last of these seven feasts. Okay, remember each one of these feasts looks back and looks forward. So, this Feast of Tabernacles or this Feast of Boots is looking back and thanking God for His provision for the children of Israel while they were walking through the wilderness as they were going into the promised land. But they are also looking forward. They are looking ahead to the promised messianic age when all nations will flow into Jerusalem to worship the Lord, when God will dwell in the midst of his people and when all people will flow into Jerusalem to worship the Lord. That is the feast of the tabernacle. That's the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Boots. And this feast is actually a week-long celebration. And this particular incident we read here was on the eighth day. And the eighth day, that is the day, the eighth day of this celebration is usually a high holiday. A high holiday is when it's like an holiday, okay? High holiday. It's like an holiday, That what we call an holiday. In that case, nobody goes to work, nobody does any survival work. It is an holiday. It's an holy, high holiday, okay? And that was the head days. And so, when you look at the, the feast that, the, the feast that these children of Israel celebrate, during the Passover, they offer to obtain God's blessing upon the harvest. During Pentecost, they offered their first fruit to request God's blessing on the fruit of the tree. But during the Feast of Tabernacles, they offer water. Now, this is very, very important. Remember what brought us here is the, the symbolism of the Holy Spirit with respect to the tree of life because the Holy Spirit is the rivers of living waters. And the Lord Jesus tells us that. He said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters, but this pick he 
of the Holy Spirit. But there's something that was happening at this point that makes what the Lord Jesus said to be poignant. Okay, so we said that during the Feast of the Tabernacle, they offer water. What happened is that they illuminate the temple with bright lights, and this demonstrates that the Messiah will be the light to the Gentile. Remember, we are now looking forward. Okay, that's one thing they do. The other thing they do during the celebration of this feast is that they drew water from the pool of Siloam and they carry it to the temple where it is poured into silver basin beside the altar and it is poured as a drink offering. And it was probably at this junction when the priest is pouring out this water beside the altar, it was probably at this junction that the Lord Jesus offered the word that he offered in the book of John chapter 7 verse 38. Out of his belly, whosoever believe in me, out of his belly shall flow what? The rivers of living water. Now, when the children of Israel, when they do it as, as a nation, they are doing it because they desire rain to supply their needs. But ultimately, when we look forward, it is actually a representation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we can see in this John chapter 7 that the Lord Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the rivers of living water. So the rivers of living water that we saw that is associated very, very closely to the tree of life is the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Now let's read this other couple of scripture as we look a little bit more into the tree of life. John chapter 5, verse 26 in the in God's word translation says, The Father is the source of life, and he has enabled the Son to be the source of life. So that is what the Lord Jesus was saying. He said, The Father is the source of life, and he has given the Son to be the source of life. Let's read John 14, 6. Jesus said unto him, I am the way the truth and the life, no man cometh unto the Father fought by me. And in John 10, 10, we've quoted it in NIV, it says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So here the Lord Jesus is saying that I am the tree of life. My Father is the tree of life. Okay, As the Father have life in himself, he has given to the Son to have life in himself. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I have come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. So we see the connection here. The connection, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and their connection with the tree of life or the river of life. So what we are saying is that that tree of life with the corresponding river of life, they are actually a picture of the passion of God himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and our eating of that tree is actually our fellowship with the, the God who is Trinity. And we can only have life and sustain life as we have connection and communion with God who is Trinity. Praise the Lord. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, and I'm just going to read verse 22 and also verse 24. Okay, we're reading Genesis chapter 3, we read verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Verse 24. So God drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims 
and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Hallelujah. Now, I just want us to see a couple of things here before we close. The Bible tells us that, that God drove Adam and Eve out of Eden. But we need to understand that God did not do that in anger. God did not drive them out of us, out of spite, out of anger. But God drew them out, out of love. And this is very, very important because God still loves humans. Remember what we said, the humans are the crown jewel of God's creation. God still loves them. And God wants to keep the way of salvation opened. God wants to keep the way for human to be redeemed and to be restored back to himself. God wants to keep it open. God did not want them to live forever in their fallen state. God did not want that. He did not want them to live forever in is stuck in a state of separation from him because in that state, they will ultimately partake of God's eternal judgment that God is going to pass upon Satan and his cohort and upon sin. The wrath of God is going to be poured out eventually upon the devil. The wrath of God is going to be poured out eventually upon sin, upon rebellion. And God did not want human to partake of that. So God drove them out of the garden. Yeah, it was a judgment. Yes, it was a judgment of their sin, but it was actually an act of love because God did not want them to remain in that state. So God can make a way, God can restore the way back to, the, to Eden, restore the way back to the tree of life. But just as humans use their will to reject God, they will have to use their will to accept him. God can facilitate, God can provide a way back, a way of salvation through the seed of the woman as God prophesied in the book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. But at the end of the day, human will have to use their will to accept God. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, which he has concentrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure waters the atonement that the lord jesus purchased and paid for on the cross allow us to return back to god will pave the way for us to return back to god to return back to eden and to return back to eat once again of the tree of life but humans men and women will have to willfully accept and receive this offer of god's love this offer of salvation which is made possible by the atonement, by the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman on the cross. But if human willfully rejects God's offer of love and salvation, then they will experience God's wrath. They will experience God's judgment upon Satan and all other rebellious angels. Now, God does not want God does not want any man to be lost. The Bible says that God wants every man to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But if we reject this salvation, then we will face God's wrath. Then we will face God's judgment, a wrath and a judgment that will last throughout eternity. But this is why God has sent us to preach so that you and I will know the fullness and the goodness of God and the salvation of God and the love of God and therefore accept it. 
praise the Lord. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10 again. And we're going to read this time verses 28 to 31. And he that despised Moses' Lord died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of much more sorrow punishment, suppose ye shall he be taught worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he has been sanctified an unholy thing and had done despite on the spirit of grace. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing. Now, God does not want us to partake of his vengeance, to partake of his wrath. And that is why he has sent the seed of the woman. He has sent the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us, to to purchase us back and to restore us back to Eden and back to the tree of life. But if we refuse that, unfortunately, then such people will have to partake of the wrath and judgment of God. So God drove Adam and Eve out and away from his immediate and direct presence. Because sin and sinful being cannot inhabit the divine presence. God is holy. His eyes cannot behold evil. And the Bible tells us that when God drove them out, remember what we said, this action is actually an action of love because God is going to work for man to be restored. Genesis chapter 3 verse 24 says that when God drove them out, God placed at the east of the garden, the Bible says that God placed at the east of the garden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. God drove them out and God put these cherubims and also this flaming sword so that human will not be able to partake of the tree of life in their fallen state and still forever fallen. But the Bible says that God put cherubims. So I want to look at the symbol. The cherubims are symbols of divine presence. Okay, they are symbol of divine presence and they uphold the throne of God. Amen. <laughs> you can see the tree is all about God's presence. So that is why the cherubims were stationed there. Because they are also symbols of divine presence and they are the one that uphold the throne of God. We see that, for example, in the two cherubims that are upon the Ark of the Covenant, isn't it? They are the ones that protect the mercy seat because the mercy seat in the Old, in, Old Testament represent the very presence of God. So the cherubims were there. They were protecting the mercy seat lest anyone will approach it carelessly and impiously except the high priest. And the high priest can only approach that seat once every year. And here we see it again in the tree of life. Here they guard the tree of life, which is another emblem of God's presence. Lest man should try to force an entrance back into God's presence. And if if they do that, they will die. They will be destroyed and they will be lost eternally. So over and over again, as we go through this story, you will see it's all about the story of the love and the mercy of God. And then the Bible talks about the flaming sword, which turned every way the flaming sword what does that symbolize this flaming sword is an emblem of the fiery law of god that is now being broken by adam and eve that is now being broken by human so the law of god has been broken remember ephesians 6 17 says that and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god so that that sword 
represent the law of God that has now been broken. And the scripture says it's a flaming sword. It's a flaming sword. In other words, the fire, talk about the fire of divine wrath on account of the fact that human has broken the law of God. So it's a flaming sword because it is a flame of the justice of God, which required to be satisfied because human broke the law of God, okay, this sword is a flaming sword because it symbolizes the justice, the flaming justice of God that needs to be satisfied because human has broken the righteous law of God. Praise the Lord. The question is, some people will ask that, was the flaming sword carried by the cherubim or is it a standalone weapon? For me, it does not matter either way. Whether the flaming sword is rotating on its own or, or it is the cherubim that is holding it, it does not matter. This, the message is still the same. Human broke the law of God. And unless the justice of God was satisfied, there cannot be life. There cannot be salvation for human. This cannot be achieved by human's work of righteousness, but by the righteousness of God, which will only be ascribed to us through the seed of the woman. Praise the Lord. So we are drawing to the close now of chapter two of our story, which is the story of the fall and the fallout. So in this chapter of our story, chapter two of our story, which is in chapter three of the book of Genesis, we saw that Adam and Eve, human rebel against their king. Number one, number two, they broke his covenant. And number three, God ejected them from his temple. God ejected them from the garden of Eden. God blocked their way back to the tree of life. So, We've slowly drawn to a close of that chapter, but there are two important questions that we need to answer before we can move away from chapter three of our story. And that will take by the grace of God in our next teaching. The first question is, where is the Garden of Eden now? I know you've watched a lot of stories, you know, a lot of fictional story, people trying to go back to the Garden of Eden. So where is the Garden of Eden now? Number two question that we need to ask ourselves is, how did the sin of Adam and Eve and the punishment for their sin, how did it affect their progeny? Now, this is the thorny and contention question of the original sin. What, what is the original sin? How does this work out? So by the grace of God, we are going to look at that next time by the grace of God. And if you are listening to me tonight, I want you to know that God loves you. He has provided a way back to Eden, a way back to that tree through the cross of Jesus. But that can only be our experience if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Do it today. Come to him. Accept you're a sinner. You cannot save yourself. You've come to the Savior. Invite him into your life. He will come. He will save you. And then he will walk with you as your father, as your friend, as your God, as your king throughout the rest of this life. And you and I will partake something of that life in a measure on this life. But when this is all over, We'll spend eternity with Him in the new heaven and the new earth. Do it today. We sincerely invite you to check out our teachings on YouTube Maranatha Teaching Channel. They will bless you. Thank you.